0: You're listening to the Tradecraft Podcast, brought
1: to you by tradecraftshop.co.uk Welcome, one and all, to Tradecraft's Podcast, Episode 8. Often in the media, developing countries are portrayed as helpless, hopeless and in need of cash. But at Tradecraft, we know it's a very different story. As we've worked to train and empower our producers, we've learnt so much from them. So today we're going to share a little bit of their wisdom. We'll also discuss all our latest news and we're going to hear from the Managing Director of an exciting fair trade organisation in Egypt. My name is Abby Knowles and here to wade through this raging river of content with me today is our resident schools expert, Caroline Hardacre. Hello. And the man who's very wise in the ways of tradecraft, Larry Rush. Hello. <laughs> Here's my question to get us warmed up today. I was very excited to learn that it's currently National Gardening Week. Um, and I wondered, what is your greatest gardening triumph? Or if that's too difficult, what is your greatest gardening failure? I think I'll start with Caroline. Oh. That's all right.
0: Well, um, I had to think a little bit outside the box because I don't <laughs> actually have a garden, yeah. but I do absolutely love plants. So I've got about 18 house plants in my living room at the moment. So wow. I actually that's think quite it's quite a lot of house <laughs> keep them all alive in such a small space. Yeah. But I do grow a lot of kind of herbs and aloe
1: and things like
2: that because i like making things from
1: mm, them so nice. i think that's a bit of a triumph um, so definitely yeah I'm managing to make stuff from them i think Maybe so yeah, think about yeah, right. oxygen in your in your living room as well heavy. <laughs> <I know. Well,
0: laughs> really a lot heavy. of them are really <laughs> oxygen heavy plants like uh like ivy and things like that oh. so yeah i've been
1: very careful with it i can attest to the fact that caroline has Probably about the same amount of houseplants on her desk as well. she so <laughs> yeah. sit behind her. My so. desk is underneath two big trees. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Right. exactly. That's very simple. So um, oh, well, I hadn't had a garden until quite recently, but we've we've kind of. Got very into the old gardening since we got our little yard. Um, so we'll see how that works out. I haven't got a triumph or a disaster from that as yet. But mine is houseplant related as well. Mine's a, mine's a bit of a mishap. And I got a, for my last birthday, I got some succulents. Um, that I was told were impossible to kill. They're quite hard to kill. I killed them, Caroline. I killed them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or I killed them. I got three. I killed one.
3: What's to it, now. You to
1: it? I think it's drowned. Oh, no. I think I drowned short, it. Yeah.
3: Too much really love. It's
1: easy to do. Too much. <laughs> it's easy to do. Apparently, yes, but um, yes. yeah, I was told that was such a lie that it was impossible to kill. Such a lie. So well. I Felt duped. But yeah, it's definitely dead. It's really <laughs> sad. Larry, what about you?
2: Well, I have a tale of triumph and uh, <laughs> failure all in one. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I quite enjoy growing vegetables, which I grow in containers. And the first year I tried to do this, I planted some potatoes, which were a very exotic Cornish variety, which were purple oh potatoes. And when they came out, when we harvested them with the kids, um, they looked so great. I was so proud of these that I actually entered them in a local competition. <laughs> Potato and uh, wow. I noticed I was so proud of them. But when I noticed <laughs> I was laying them out, all the other people who looked very serious gardeners, their potatoes were pristine and white and very regular <gasps> sizes. So I thought I was guaranteed a win because mine was so <laughs> characterful and colourful and exotic. Um, but sadly, when I came back the next day, there was no certificate, prize certificate. Oh, no. There wasn't even a little note of commendation. There was nothing. And I felt oh, very sad. Wow. But I it hasn't put you. me off. I, I've kept on growing the vegetables and I enjoy growing them, even if the garden, garden <laughs> competition judges didn't like them. You're
1: too ahead of your time. them.
2: I maybe I maybe I need to kind of leave it a few years and enter yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, they might get bigger and more beautiful as the years go by. Yeah, see. yeah.
2: People exactly. might follow. Purple potatoes may be the future.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, all this talk of gardening actually leads on quite nicely to another piece of news that we've been bringing up. Now, both of you guys attended an event last week at the Annick Garden to promote the Let It Grow campaign, which involved, I think, lots and lots of children and a Bangladeshi hut, of all things. Now, Larry, can you tell us what it was actually about and what happened?
2: Yeah, it's a brilliant link-up. It's really exciting. The Annick Garden is in Northumberland, and it's right next door to um, Annick Castle, which is famous because of its Harry Potter filming. That's where they filmed a lot of the scenes. Um, but it's a really popular garden. It's it's well known nationally and it's one of the most popular gardens nationally as well as in Northumberland. Um And the link with the Annick Garden for Tradecraft is that we took their head gardener, Trevor, out to India to visit our projects there. Um, and he came back and was really inspired. And so we've now collaborated with them and there's some special exhibitions that are happening at the garden right now.
0: Fabulous. There was a photography
2: exhibition there as well, wasn't there? Yeah, there's a photography exhibition which shows children in um, India and Bangladesh holding their favourite toys, Mm. um, which are really simple things like there's actually like a wooden tray on a rope that somebody's using to kind of drag around.
0: It's like a sleigh
2: almost. Yeah, Um, and you know, really kind of threadbare, cuddly toys. Mm. Um, And then there's pictures of British children holding their toys which range from um, kind of some of them electronic gadgets some are very simple things as well like footballs and and, and cuddly toys and I think what it, it shows is there are some real similarities when you look at the pictures there is real joy on the expression of all the children um, but you know, a huge difference in terms of the kinds of toys, and I yeah. guess it, it brings to life the difference in background people have materially between yeah. the two countries.
0: And yeah, it fits into the whole the wisdom thing as well, doesn't it? Because it's like children will find joy in whatever they've got, yeah. and you know, mm-hmm. we all just want that in the end, don't
2: we? Yeah, and one of the th- one of the striking things when you look at the photos is actually Trevor the gardener was pointing this out, looking at the photos on Wednesday that there's actually more joy on the faces of the children in Bangladesh and India than there is on the faces of the the British children. And we were reflecting on the kind of paradox of that in some ways. You know, sometimes when you travel to developing countries, you do see that, don't you? That that there's this amazing exuberance and and joy in spite of adversity and, you know, the simplicity of life.
0: What were the kids getting into doing at the event this week? Were they doing activities?
1: Well, yeah, I was just about to say one of the um, one of the things that I think has sort of spanned the kids from Bangladesh and the kids from the UK is the the little ribbon ones that we that we yeah, use. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a video of these ribbon ones. But we um, one of the activities that we we had on at the at the gardens was in the crafty cottage, and it was making these little ribbon ones. Um, and it was really nice to see some of the kids during the day who just were visiting the gardens and. Who you just sort of stumble upon it running around with these ribbon ones and it just Aww. it's it just shows I think how toys and little game, activities like that can just sort of span any any child finds joy in, in, in a ribbon <laughs> wand apparently um but we also had the the Bangladeshi hut that you mentioned mm. so um Trevor was inspired by his visit um it was actually to, to India wasn't it to see some cotton farmers um and he um uh, Designed and built his own bamboo hut wow. with a little cotton farm outside, which amazing. was just amazing. And it's right in the middle of the bamboo maze in Annick Garden. So people kind of stumbled upon that. It is like really incredible, really, really amazing. It's so, so
2: it's, it's really fun. stunning. And yeah. it, it kind of feels that like you arrive in the middle of this maze and it is a, like arriving in a, a real scene that you'd see yeah. in Bangladesh and <laughs> um, with a little cooking stove and a hut and the cotton plants, as Abby was just saying. And Trevor's done it absolutely brilliantly. And yeah. there's a big board there with all the information about Tradecraft's project. So, yeah, we've been so pleased. The garden have done such a great job in creating all of these activities. And I think everyone visiting during Easter holidays will have really experienced something uh, unusual and kind of very special that, and real yeah. about Tradecraft's yeah. work. It's really
0: pertinent as well with it being Gardening Week this week as well. Apparently so. Who knew? It's perfect. <laughs> so does anyone else have any news of anything that's
2: been happening? Yeah, well, something that really caught my eye in the news was um, just a couple of weeks ago, there was um, a documentary on Channel 4, Dispatches, all about Cadbury's. And it was all about the secrets behind Cadbury's, because I guess it was saying Cadbury's is a bit of a national treasure, isn't it? It's a brand that we all know and love being yeah. brought up with. But what not everyone has realized is it was taken over by a huge American company, Kraft. And the documentary was saying actually quite a lot has changed over the, the last six years since Kraft took over. And is Cadbury's all that we hope it is? Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, one really a- interesting angle on it is what was fair trade because, um, back in 2009, Cadbury switched a good chunk of its uh, products, um, including dairy milk to fair trade. Um, But the documentary really asked some questions to Cadbury's about how serious are they about Mm -hmm. that move to fair trade and how far have they taken it. Um, And the thing that jumped out to me was I can remember now thinking back the time at the time, the chief executive of Cadbury's made this amazing statement to say, our goal is for all our chocolate to be fair trade. Um, But and at the time we all celebrated and thought, brilliant, Cadbury's are sort of really making a step forward. But in fact, the documentary really pointed out that that hasn't happened, sadly. And, mm-hmm. and there was some initial progress, but actually there doesn't seem to be any more movement from Cadbury's to, to even the dairy milk range. They've introduced new bars which aren't fair trade. None of their Easter eggs are fair trade. Um, None of the rest of the Cadbury's range at all is fair trade chocolate. Um, So it does pose the question really... What happens when these big companies make a move into fair trade? How, how seriously do they take it? Is it yeah. just a token yeah, thing? it seems very tokenistic yeah. almost, I mean, doesn't Easter
1: it? Easter eggs too. would have
2: been a huge thing,
0: wouldn't it? Consider how many Easter eggs are
2: yeah. bought. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. something like 700 million Easter eggs wow. that companies sell that could be That's fair good trade. Good trade. And so yeah. it feels like a missed opportunity, doesn't it? They, yeah. you know, they're doing some it really does. good stuff by buying cocoa for the products they are doing. But imagine if they did do what their original vision was—you know—it would have a huge benefit on farmers in, in mm. West Africa.
0: Have they made a response to the documentary?
2: Yeah, well, this is interesting because with with Twitter and social media now, it's you get a lot of reaction. So on the night of the program, people were tweeting about all kinds of things, and so I decided to join in and I just asked Capri's the question. Said, "Really interesting to see yeah. your chief exec say that. Are you still planning to turn all your chocolate fair trade? But the response that came back was very cagey and just mm. pointed out the good things they uh, have done. Okay. And actually, I wow. still haven't got an answer from them as to what their plans are. So mm. it does raise some questions, I think.
1: Political answer. Yeah. 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 yeah, very invasive. Yeah.
2: So if you'd like to read that blog, um, you can go to tradecraft.co.uk slash
1: So another um, really exciting piece of news for us this month is around staffing. We are really excited to be able to announce that Robin Roth, who's the former managing director of Gaper, which is Europe's largest fair trade organisation, will be taking over as our new chief exec later in the year. And it's a really, really exciting time. For all of us we're really looking forward to finding out more about robin and all of his new ideas uh, in the coming months and so we might even get him on the blog um on the podcast himself yeah, to, to yeah to introduce himself or, or something like that tell us more about himself at some point um the other good news is that Andy Biggs, who's currently acting CEO, is going to be staying with us in the role of Chief Operating Officer. So it's really great that we're able to keep yeah. hold of Andy and all of that experience that he's kind of built up as he's, he's been here. So we're all really excited to see what the future holds for Tradecraft.
2: One thing people keep on asking is, is he German? <laughs> but actually, what we've all discovered is but he's not. definitely British. <laughs> yeah, but he's been living in Germany, so he's very clever because he's obviously bilingual and he's yeah. been running a business in German. But he is actually British, so he's coming back to Britain. Yes, he
1: is, he is. Yes, and he was quite keen to come back to the northeast, wasn't he? As well, cause that's right. Because
2: he was at the university in Durham, wasn't he? he, he? Was. So he actually knows the northeast well, yeah, and he knows crazy. a lot about fair trade. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting.
1: So we always love to hear from people who are passionate about fair trade, and we recently had a visit from an organisation called Fairtrade Egypt which I think has the most incredible story but rather than hear it from me I think it's best if we jump straight to the interview. So a few days ago Tradecraft's John McNaughton caught up with Mona El-Sayed, the Managing Director of this amazing company.
3: Hi Mona, welcome to the Tradecraft podcast. Thank you for stopping by to talk to us today.
1: Thank you for giving me the
4: opportunity.
3: <laughs> I wonder if you could start by just telling us a little bit about yourself.
4: Okay. Well, uh, I am Munal Said sayed I'm the managing director for Fairtrade Egypt. I've been managing Fairtrade Egypt for uh, more than 13 years now. I am a business graduate. Uh, I worked in a multinational at the beginning of my professional life, which was, uh, as I always say, uh, one of the best things that happened in my career life because... I worked there for two years and a half, but then it was a very, very good opportunity for me to learn big, you know, and fast. Uh, But then I also say that the second best thing that happened in my career life is that I quit it. So, uh, yeah, so it was like kind of an early decision that this is not what I would like to continue doing for the rest of my life. So I uh, decided since social work and volunteering and, and development was always my passion. Uh, I said, okay, look, why am I giving up my passion for uh, for something that's only uh, going to make me just like a title and money? So uh, I decided to switch and get my hobby to be my business. Uh, so I quit uh, Procter & Gamble, and I started looking for something in social development, which was not really a very easy task. I used the time of my search to what I would like to do as a job to do my master's in business administration, so I didn't really completely waste the time. Uh, it took me two years to find Fairtrade Egypt, which was back then called Egypt Crafts. I went to meet uh, the person who was responsible back then, and I totally fell in love with it because it was exactly the thing I was looking for. It was trade, so it was like using my, my business and skills and, under, and experience, but then I was for fair reasons, so social aspect I'm looking for. And the thing is that um, I fell in love with the crafts that I saw. So uh, I was fascinated by the crafts, by the mission, by the concept of fair trade. And it clicked. And I said, okay, well, uh, my dead body, this is not going to close. (laughs) So I took it from there. Um, I think I've done an okay job so far.
3: Now, I'm interested. Was your organization affected by the Arab Spring uprisings at all? Did the political trouble cause you any trouble?
4: Uh, well, yes, definitely. If, uh, there is a revolution in a country you can't really avoid. <laughs> yeah, not being uh, affected. Well, it's interesting because the revolution uh, happened in January 2011. I mean, Tunisian one. That the start the first one was also in January. Uh, hours followed in 25th of January 2011, and this was a period in FTE uh when we were already discussing how to go from small to uh medium, from stability to growth, but then the challenges were much bigger than sales and reaching autism. I was realizing this is not a wave that is going to pass in few months even and it's gonna take few years for this country to get stable again. And you can't really keep a low profile for a few years, you know, so so I can play safe and stay where I am for a few years, so actually, the choice, which was not really a choice, was either to keep as we are, like very low profile, or just to go crazy and expand and defend our business by growing it, so yeah, I didn't really think there was a choice, because I was not going to keep, make Fairtrade Egypt die, die, shrink and die, so um, I said, okay, here we go. Well, we are 11 staff members and we have this amount of money, capital, and we can sustain ourselves for the next two three months with this level of sales. Okay, put in capital, I expanded uh, business. I even opened a second shop uh, in January 2012, which is exactly one year after the revolution started, and everyone was closing their shops in Cairo while I was opening mine. And, uh, even the artisans were thinking this lady is going absolutely crazy. (laughs) And this is something that, uh, there's something that I would like, uh, to clarify and something that I truly believe in, uh, in business and in life is that really every crisis, uh, provides an opportunity. Uh, so when it really goes to a point when you think it's impossible to do it, there is something here that you're probably missing that can create a new uh, doors to open and this is what I saw in 2011 I saw a lot of opportunity how do I say it like the revolution has brought up more engagement and participation and and involvement for Egyptians and care by them to um, Egypt and to other Egyptians and more willingness to, to, to understand and engage with other communities that they didn't know of uh, so there was a more Uh, sympathy, participation, and involvement by different classes of Egyptians that I thought we can tap on right now and capture. Uh, And this is exactly what helped, because now our shops, uh, the two shops now, have like 50% of its clientele as Egyptians, something I wouldn't have dreamt of in 2011. We were always trying to reach Egyptians, and it was definitely the most difficult segment to to capture you know they didn't appreciate crafts they didn't know fair trade they were not really interested in all the support and charity and things but the revolution brought a lot of awareness to the people
3: so i've got two questions left and and the first is why does fair trade matter to you and why is it important to egypt
2: Well.
4: Fair trade matters, I'll tell you, in very um, uh, practical, factual ways, definitely there is a huge economic impact because we are the sole income providers in most of the cases, as I told you, but we are the ones who do uh, social development in a sustainable way for them. We have contributed in educational uh, services, health services, um, awareness, engagement and everything. Social empowerment and development has definitely come with our fair trade activities all the way to those autisms.
3: And finally, we just want to know what keeps you motivated on a difficult day? When work is hard, what keeps you going?
4: Uh, there is a lot of difficult days, so many of them. <laughs> uh, living in Egypt is quite difficult, really. Living in Kero is makes it more difficult. Working in development makes it more and more difficult and uh, heading an organization that's in development makes it too difficult (laughs) even so i have a lot of difficult days but i don't have a lot of sad days i'm uh i'm sometimes uh uh people tell me like you're always smiling you're always laughing what's wrong with you like can't you see what's happening but i have enough reason and i really think fair egypt uh is a very important reason why. I keep my smile, I keep my happiness always and optimism. It um, has definitely given me a very good cause to live for. Uh, and I'm quite lucky and blessed. I see the impact each and every day um, on our artisans on our staff also. Uh, I was just saying in a presentation last week, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, because of the International Women's Day, and I was—it was a women' presentation, but I was saying that Fairtrade Asia has empowered so many women, but it has also empowered so many men because when we—when I started, Fairtrade Asia was only a women' organization because these are the ones who were able to understand what Fairtrade. Now we are fifty percent almost women, fifty percent men. Are more passionate about fair trade and women empowerment than even us, so it's a great achievement, it's a great empowerment, you know. So, I'm surrounded by people where their lives have changed person each and every day in my office. Yeah, I'm quite blessed and lucky, really.
0: Brilliant! Wow, she's so positive,
1: she? <laughs> she's so positive. incredibly
2: positive. I loved what she said about um opportunities and in, in spite of crisis. Yeah. Yeah, and brilliant. that kind of level of positivity and commitment and enthusiasm really came through, didn't it? Mm-hmm. From what she was saying, it's yeah. really inspiring.
1: She's a very inspiring lady. She's so she is so positive. She's incredibly positive, isn't she? In such a difficult situation, in such a difficult sort of time for Egypt, generally as well. I think yeah. that's really inspiring that she's so <laughs> to Do motivational talks. She yeah. really does. Yeah. She does. Okay.
0: I
2: think what she said about being very challenging, you know, she Mm. said that she has layers of difficulty in the task that she has with her job, but she has lots of difficult days, but not many sad days. I thought that was a a fantastic way of looking at it.
1: She's obviously an incredible business person as well, because to say, you know, everybody is shutting down their shop so everybody is mm. kind of consolidating what they have and actually to then say oh no no we're gonna do something completely different we're gonna open another shop we're gonna grow that's a really she's got some amazing foresight i think and yeah she's very brave <laughs> it's
2: a bold plan uh, yes it's, yeah it's, like it's working thing. well
1: <laughs> i think one of the things that really strikes me um listening to, to mona's story is how much she's learned through spending time with people who are very little she mentioned that, um, you know, she sees the lives of people who she works with being transformed. She can see that through the work that she's doing. Um, so we will be back after this little tiny break to share some of the life-changing lessons that we've learned through connecting with some of the world's poorest people.
0: You're listening to the Tradecraft Podcast, brought to you by tradecraftshop.co.uk Welcome back
1: to part two. Now, I wonder if I asked you all to picture someone who is a source of wisdom, someone who could teach you important things, what kind of person would you imagine? Maybe a brilliant school teacher or a profound parent, or maybe like me, you think about a really talented speaker, Um, the sort of person who might do TED Talks. In my head, I'd imagine them as somebody who's mastered sort of the smart, casual look, who might talk exclusively in metaphors, and they're really good at making PowerPoints. Mm -hmm. That's what I would think anyway. Um, But the brilliant thing about getting involved in the fair trade world is that you learn really quickly that wisdom isn't something that's just reserved for the wealthy. At Tradecraft it feels like the people we work with teach us as much as we are able to teach them, so it's a partnership. And that's what this second section is all about. We've had a think about what we've learned from connecting with people who have very little. How has our exposure to the developing world through working at Tradecraft developed us? So shall we start with you, Larry? What wisdom do you have for us?
2: Well, I've got more of a, it's an inspiring story, I guess, which I feel I've learned from um, this person. Uh, it's a lady called Moon Sharma, who runs Tara Projects, who we show craft sources all kinds of craft products from. Um, and I travelled out to India a few years ago and was completely inspired by Moon because really of her motivation and determination to achieve so much with so little resources, she actually runs a huge enterprise with 28 craft workshops all around Delhi in slum areas, in really difficult areas, and somehow keeps this all going and juggling. And it was real kind of, um, the, act of the sheer capacity to get stuff done because of her vision for how she sees the world and the way it needs to be. Um, That struck me. Um, And I think with the groups that she's working with, she's facing things like um, people who've been resettled. Mm -hmm. She campaigns on women's empowerment. She campaigns against child labour. And her team actually face physical violence on the streets because people don't like what Tara are doing. They they don't like the good work Mm -hmm. they're doing. Um, so yeah, I was just really struck and really humbled by the, the commitment and the sheer force of personality <laughs> and vision yeah. for doing something good, yeah. you know, bit by bit every day. She
0: sounds incredible. She just amazing yeah. woman. Yeah, yeah.
2: But she had that kind of inspiring style that we heard a bit from Mona <laughs> yeah. earlier on. That you yeah. could, that determination to succeed. It's like
0: the doers in the world. Yeah, isn't
2: it? absolutely. Yeah.
1: Caroline, what
0: about you? Well, well, mine is a lady as well, um, though she is a farmer and her name's Rosina and she's kind of one of the main stories of the Tradecraft Let It Grow campaign. So um, if people don't know about her, you can actually download her full testimonial from the Tradecraft website, Um, but she has a tea farm in Bangladesh and she's gone from living in total poverty to the extent that, you know, no furniture, sparing herself any food so her family can have just a little bit more rice to having this really successful tea farm on her land. And she's, she's grown so far. And all of her testimonial is lovely quotes, which are just so inspirational. It's all <laughs> poetic. It's amazing. But I, I had to cut one line from it. And it was that my husband says that I'm a big dreamer. Yes, I like to dream. Dreaming is hope. Hope for an incredible tomorrow. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a total. <laughs> totally. But I just think that's actually really insightful and wise, because if we don't dream, how can we imagine anything better for ourselves? And if we couldn't imagine it, how could we ever expect to get out there and do something? So some people could say dreaming is more of a just a passive thing, but it's not. It's all about imagining a better world, kind of like everyone else we've been talking mm-hmm. about. Just that's a brilliant way to see the world. <laughs> yeah, it's a brilliant.
2: It's an inspiring quote for anyone yeah, to come out yeah. of such extreme poverty as I well. as yeah. super inspiring.
0: I know because some people could be really beaten down by circumstance, but other people really rise up and they mm. know. Mm-hmm. I can
1: imagine a better place. Let's make it happen. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes yeah. all the difference. To all me. How about you, Abby? Yeah. Um, I well, it's quite similar. I think my sort of inspirational story or group of people and. Um, I was thinking about uh, how people see opportunities beyond just trade, beyond just kind of, um, you know, setting themselves up uh, as a farmer or an artisan. Um, It's all about the other opportunities beyond that, say for the community or um, to educate children or to deal with, you know, HIV, for example. And and that's my example. I was thinking about um, the Swazi Candles, um that we we work with and obviously everybody will probably know about um all of how how much we featured them in the show you care campaign um recently uh we we sell a few of their candles uh, in in the um, in the catalogue um but they were just a really inspirational group of people i think that because they were trying to um go beyond just just trading And really be a family to the people who were, who were working for Swazi Candles. So they had all of this other stuff like, um, you know, a community garden to, to make sure that everybody was fed properly. Um, if you couldn't afford to buy a meal, then they would take you out for a meal because, they just look after the people that work for them, and I just think it's so much it's so much more beyond just the the trading aspect of it which makes fair trade and tradeoffs work special um One of the things that really struck me about that story was um the the prevalence of h i v in Swaziland which i think is is one in four people mm. within the country Some have have HIV, live with h i v and AIDS. um and so that means that a lot of the uh the staff at Swazi candles are affected either personally or um, they've lost a member of their family, and um, Swazi Candles has HIV counsellors. They have um, support groups, and every year they remember everybody who has worked for the organisation who's passed away because of HIV. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's just it's just going the extra mile for people who um, who work for you, and that's what makes. Trade and what we do so special? I just think that's mm. incredibly, incredibly inspiring.
0: When you see the footage, it seems like they're just so full of love, yeah, for each other, yeah, and, yeah. and appreciation of all aspects of someone's life, mm. like valuing people as people.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yes. really moving, and you really kind of feel that, don't you? Mm. Hearing them and seeing them speak on some of the videos that yeah. that we have on the website, you kind of really. Feel that passion that they have to care mm-hmm. about the people and yeah the, the way that you've summed it up I'll be talking about <laughs> them as a family do yeah. you get that family you feel? get that feeling
1: don't you yeah which just yeah proves how how special they are, really? I think yeah.
2: you just Keep...
0: seem to learn so much more from people who live in such challenging circumstances because it, it just shows you how far
1: people can drive themselves to positivity mm. when they're faced with such dark times—things yeah Things we can't even imagine, situations yeah. we can't even imagine.
2: It puts it's life difficult. in perspective for us yeah, in does, Britain, doesn't does. it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's does. terrible. <laughs> oh, oh, Caroline!
2: Well, it, I think that is that—that that is kind of one of the things these connections gives us isn't it Mm -hmm. because you know we we do um represent some benefits for those groups but Mm -hmm. they really do genuinely benefit us don't we you know it's totally inspiring it's a privilege for us to be connected with these people
1: okay well that's all we've got time for today we hope you're feeling a little wiser a little bit more inspired than you were when you pressed play half an hour ago all that's left to say is goodbye from larry
2: goodbye
1: And a fun farewell for Caroline. Bye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me as well. Thank you for listening.